As always, um, I'm very thankful to be able to teach uh, God's Word. Uh, we are considering um, at our leadership team meeting this week, and we've been talks with Joe Bridgman, to have Ryan Hughes, who most of you know, and has been uh, fairly frequently um, teaching at Rosendale Christian, potentially doing his official internship here at Fillmore Christian, um, which would look like him teaching for um, perhaps as many as 10 weeks. So um, we're in the works on that. We're going to talk about it this Wednesday, but um, looking forward to it. Um, and ultimately, our desire is to correctly handle the word of truth, which we believe are the scriptures. We also believe in the power of the scriptures, of God's word, to supernaturally do something to all of our hearts. Yes, but when you talk collectively, collectively it sometimes can lose the power. To your heart, to my heart, the, the very words of God, the truths of God, to change you, to transform you, to conform you to who he created you to be. And we said, if we are um, focused on knowing that we have scripture to show us who God is and what is actually true in this world, we're going to be in and then for an adventure, that is amazing. Like the best is by far yet to come. And that's exciting, right? If, I mean, that's just thrilling. Um, and it actually makes me excited about the chaos that just looms in our world. And again, it's, it should not be a surprise to people sitting in this congregation that 2024 is going to come with a lot of chaos, a lot of vitriol, a lot of division, a lot of people who are unable to engage with their neighbor, um, and and who knows, it could end up in, in, in wars and all sorts of things. But we look into it, we stare into what looks like a dark, a dark abyss, and we see a God who's in complete control, and who is nothing but light and life and love as shown through Christ. And so we're excited, because it's going to be an entertaining 2023, 2024, and beyond. And you'll hear it's the most important time in our world. It's like, the most important time in our world is every moment God has ordained from the beginning until the end, and he's in full control. And it leads us into the questions that kind of get our hearts prepared for scripture. Is there truth? Like, do you believe there is truth? Um, it's a philosophical question. You know, when you take it and you, when I hear that question, I automatically think of Pontius Pilate as he's trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, who the, the, teachers of law when he crucified and he's questioning Jesus. Um, and Jesus says, I am, you know, I am who you accuse me of being. Um, I am the truth. And Pontius says, what is truth? And it's kind of a uh, remark of the times of the Greek modern thinkers um, and the Roman thinkers and, and today's thinkers. You're like, how can you really know? Like, what is there? And then it ends up with saying, yeah, maybe there isn't a truth. Maybe it, it's all just whatever. Uh, and you can tell how if there's nothing, like there's nothing to stand on, where every next step you take might be sinking sand, might be like, oh, I'm done. That is a really scary way to live. And I think what we have in our scriptures is the answer to that question. Um, but it's up to you. Um, and you kind of go through it, is if there is truth, how, how can you know it? How do you know what is true? So the antagonists in our story, 
is the Pharisees, right? And the teachers of the law, and the Sadducees are in on it now in Luke 20. And what they are basically doing is the same thing you guys, you and I are doing every day of our life. We're just trying to make the most of what's out there, trying to, trying to be whole inside. And so they're wrestling with these questions like, oh, we believe we know what's true. And what is true, um, well, we'll look into it in a little bit. I know you know what I believe. I think what you believe. There is truth. And it is to be found in, in ways that are observable by us, that have been shown to us. And ultimately, we have God's word to show us that. But why do you even believe God's word? Um, and I think we know because God set it in our hearts to know that is a creator. You weren't just a cosmic accident. That In Romans, Paul says, um, nobody is without excuse because you look around at creation, you feel the very depths of eternity even woven into your DNA, into your genetics is to say there is a creator. There is truth. It is to be known. And it has been shown through Christ that when in doubt, and we talked about you look into the, the age of the earth, you look into all sorts of the Old Testament scriptures like, oh, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot of mysteries there. But ultimately, just don't worry about it. Look upon Christ. Look upon Christ who is well recorded, well documented, as much as any historical figure. Um, the writings go on and on, and they are tied directly back to his time. And he was real, and he made claims about being the truth that everybody, whether they believe in him or not, have to believe in, have to do something with. You have to do something with Jesus' claims. Crazy man or Messiah. And, and that's where we... All right, it's like, I, I fully believe he's the Messiah. And then it answers so many of the unknowns tracing back beyond Christ as well. And I get a great um, confidence in that. So uh, just encourage you to think about that then as we approach these scriptures today. Um, we'll take three chunks of scripture. Um, as we do it, I'd just like to pray one more time. We'll be in Luke 20 at the end, and then we'll go into Luke 21. Father, please, please help me. Um, and help our hearts as we hear these words, correctly handle the words of truth. Thank you for the words of truth. Thank you for Luke recording it in the way he did. Thank you for the other gospel writers and letter writers and all the prophets and everything that we have to say, who are you? What is truth? Father, revealed to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so starting here in Luke chapter 20, in the first three verses, um, Jesus had just come off. Uh, talking about to the answer to the Sadducees, where they said, how is it that a man or, could die and his wife, you know, she never bore him a son, went through seven men. Whose wife is she in the resurrection? Um, Moses, you know, said this, did this, and just trying to trip Jesus up, right? Trying to, trying to get answers that like, all right, see, resurrection's crazy, Jesus. See, don't you agree? And Jesus answered them, shut him up, because his answers are real they're truth and so now they shut up it said in verse 40 and now we're in verse 41 it says jesus said to them how can they say that christ is david's son for david himself says in the book of psalms the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool david thus calls him lord so how is he his son so what the teachers of the law um, the scribes and the Pharisees, like what is truth to them? Truth to them is the law of God at this point. We want to know the master of the universe. We get to see it in the law 
that was given through Moses, and so therefore called the Mosaic Law, in that the, the lawgiver gave it through Moses, and so that Moses is, uh, he's high up there, not because he was divine, but because God used him divinely to give us what we know about God, and that's his law, the moral righteous requirement we must fulfill to be with God the burdens that we must carry to earn our way into God's gracious presence. And so that's what the teachers of the law um, had really. It's like, what is truth to you? Moses and the law given through Moses, that is truth to us. And so we, when you start talking about what we believe to be true and defying it, it's why Jesus was not a friend to them and not somebody they could call the Messiah because he was challenging what they believe to be true, that the law must be fulfilled. And turns out Jesus would agree with that. Yes, you're right, the law must be fulfilled. The problem was they believed they were the ones to fulfill it um, instead of Jesus on there and on our behalf. But the other piece that then Jesus like takes that thought of Moses and talking about Moses gave marriage um, in the law, other laws come to play. Jesus almost then, it seems, continues with that theme. Like, okay, you you know Moses. You, Moses is true, right? How, who's another figure you believe is true? Oh, David, the man after God's own heart. That's another figure that Jesus would, I think, tap into. Like, what do you what do you believe is true? David is true. David is the, the ultimate king that we've had in Israel, except he's dead now, and so he couldn't be the ultimate king. But there's one coming from David's line, who, oh, it's going to be so good when that Messiah comes. We know he's coming from David because it's been promised. In the book of uh, Samuel, it's been promised that this there is a king coming from David's royal line, and he will be the ultimate king, and we can't wait. It's, oh man, the glory that will be restored to us and our people. It will be so good. And Jesus is tapping into this. You love David. You're excited about David. You're excited about the promises of David. This is what's true to these men in this story. And so Jesus like, okay, here we go. What about David? How can they say that Christ is David's son? The Messiah is David's son. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And it directly defies what they believe to be true. Because they're saying, here, there will be one that is coming from David, and he is yet to come. And Jesus is basically saying, he already is and was. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. What's true is that the Messiah is coming through David's line. We'll be able to trace it. It'll come at this place and this ways, and this, we'll know it, and he'll have military power and political power. And Jesus says, you're misunderstanding. It's bigger than that, fellas. The truth that is God's is bigger than that. Let me give you an example. David, who you herald as a man after God's own heart, one that is an ancestor to this king, this Messiah you're excited for, he was already there. He was already there in David's time. It's bigger than you think. It's beyond your expectations. What you think is true about the Messiah, it's like, okay, in many ways, yes, it is true. But some of the greatest lies aren't like flat out lies. It's these half truths that come in that distort the pure truth. And Jesus is saying, that's what you've done. Because it's so much, it's so much bigger 
um, than, than just a man coming from this lineage of David. This is referring to someone who is already there from the very beginning, where David could even look into the supernatural and call him Lord. Therefore, saying that Christ was already there, the Messiah was already there when David was. Um, and I want to read a few scriptures to you. You can just listen to these. Um, that, that shows us something about, man, how big is this Messiah? Is he bigger than maybe we accounted for? Um, Colossians 1, I'm going to say that one actually, it's my favorite. Hebrews 1 through 4, um, chapter 1, 1 through 4 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name as inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus created the world, also testified in this uh, scripture from the first chapter of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and this is the assumption that this Word is Jesus. The Word was with God in the beginning. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Say preeminent. You're a little slow on that. Say preeminent. You're like, you're talking to us? <laughs> For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. Preeminence. Have you used that word in your vocabulary this week? Um, I only have because I was preparing for this. Um, so preeminence is defined. Um, where did my definition go? It preeminence is all things, all in company, all encompassing, everywhere, beginning, end, high, low. Preeminence is, is what Christ is. 
And it's the, it's the main thing to take away from today's Bible teaching, that Jesus was trying to get through to the Pharisees of, hey, understand that I'm bigger than you ever imagined. Like, you're just a guy disrupting what we believe is true. That's all Jesus was to them. How often is that all Jesus is to this world today? To me, you're just a guy disrupting what I desire, what I want. But instead um, of being like, no, you're actually bigger than what I even tangerine. Even my desires are put there by who? By him. Every part of me, all things were created by him and hold together in him. Take a big deep breath right now. Scripture just told you that breath was in Christ. Beautiful babies. Where do they come from? In Christ. Your greatest joy of the week. Where did it come from? From Christ. It holds together. It has its meaning and being and essence in Christ. Preeminent, surpassing all things above, other. The, the hip modern term is meta, right? It's bigger than this. Christ is meta. <laughs> He's the ultimate meta. He is bigger. He's preeminent. As far back as you can think, as far forward as you can think, as deep as you can go into your own inner being, as externally as you can go into the, the space and time, Christ is already there and he's further beyond than you can go. Christ is all things and holds all things together. Uh, the St. Patrick who, yes, St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick, he's known for the Irishness, right? But my favorite part of St. Patrick is his, uh, his famous prayer, which is actually much longer than this. Um, but you've probably heard this before. This is part of his prayer. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, right Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. Christ is all and in all. When you even hear that term, and it's why it should shock you that even the, the name Christ, which is one term we have for him, right? A God of many names. Um, the Messiah. Jesus. Every time you hear that, it should be like the Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis, where even at the name of Aslan the Lion, a power was released. And it's for when you hear somebody say, for Christ's sake, you don't need to be offended by them, but you should feel the power even as they utter that term without meaning. Because you just uttered the very essence of the power of all creation is Christ. He was there, created through him, surpassing all things. It's a name that honestly should physically, when you hear it, make you want to cower. Because it's that powerful. If you've wanted to cower or felt the depths of anything at staring at creation at all, maybe you stood at the Grand Canyon's edge and looked at the vastness of it, which honestly is very, very small relative to the state of Arizona, and the state of Arizona is small relative to the U.S., and the U.S. is small to the world, and our Earth is small to our uh, solar system, and our solar system is small to our galaxy, and our galaxy is small 
to the universe. So therefore, you could stand and get a small glimpse of a very small thing and want to cower because you feel how small you are. And that's the same when you hear the name of Christ. He's bigger than anything you can imagine. Any galaxy that the James Webb telescope could peer into and think Christ is beyond that. And I hope we start to feel like, yeah, I, oh, <laughs> let me bow before the name and the preeminence of Christ. But we continue because the preeminence of Christ is like juxtaposed. It's put up against and contrasted with a couple of other things here in this portion of Luke's gospel. The next is uh, these next few verses where it says, And in hearing, in verse 45, of all the people, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. So talking to the disciples, but everybody can hear this. Beware or pay attention to. Pay attention to the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they love greetings in the marketplace. And they love the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Okay, so this definition I, I didn't rely on the internet for. Pretentious is attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, etc., than is actually possessed. So we just talked about the greatest importance of being Christ eminence. His there, even all things were formed through him. And now we have the contrast to that of like puffed up folks, of which honestly, when I've read these verses for most of my life, I'm like, dang, that is exactly why I went to church and decided to get up front and lead the prayer or lead the song for so much of my life. It was a pretense. It was trying to say, hey, let me do this to impress somebody um, by giving it greater importance than it actually possessed. And Jesus says, beware. The translations pay close attention to this. Observe it well. Now, we don't have any scribes in Andrew County. Nobody gets paid to be a scribe anymore. Um, but we have plenty of people in our midst and they're all over the world, who are doing exactly this. Attempting to change what you think about them. Who walk out, who decide what to wear in the morning, not for any other reason than, I will be seen, and I want people to think this about me. And it needs to be that they believe I am important. People do that related to God, and people do it unrelated to God. They're just like, hey, I just love what people think about me. Um, John MacArthur had said that many um, in the world have, and when we get to the uh, next example in scripture, many in the world who have teached the prosperity gospel, um, it's like there's been people all the time who promised uh, prosperity of like, hey, spend on this, it'll make your life better. Give this, it'll make your life better. It's like the prosperity gospel, though, those people really are, are playing with such explosives because they're doing it in the name of God and they're assigning importance and making promises that God's never made to them. And they are, they're going to be very guilty, he says, um, because they're assigning value that is actually not there through how they look a long prayer for what? And you're like, wait, well, you go much longer than you need to. You're right. But I'm trying to get it down to just the glory of God uttered from these lips. And I admit that I, that I need to repent and not do things just because 
It should be two minutes long. No, it should be 30 minutes long. Like, no, in all things, God should be glorified in everything I do. And it's, it's, it's a pretty consistent prayer of repentance for me. Like, I'm mishandling it because I'm more worried about what you would think than the very truths of God. But I think it's a good thing if I'm on my guard reading this where Jesus says, beware, Wakefield, don't do these things so that you will look good. Do them for my glory. And like that, that needs to be a constant reminder for me, for Andy, for any leadership in this church or any other Christ glorifying church that exists. Don't be it because not only is it pretentious and that word just sounds like, ooh, you are pretentious. But there Jesus says, they will receive a great condemnation. When you take the very things of God and you say, you're going to use me to make yourself look good instead of bring glory to me, greater condemnation. Which is probably, you know, whole teaching there for like, yes, it is, you're called to know Christ and you're not. But then we have levels of rewards and levels of condemnation. And, and there's a greater one for those who are taking, pointing to God when really they're just pointing right here. This is what's important. Not so much this. Do not be pretentious. James uh, gets after it when he says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? The humble. So therefore, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. Submit to God. And which leads us into the last piece of the scripture for today, which turns the corner into Luke chapter 21. So right after this says, Jesus looked up. And saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Two mites, you might have heard in different translations. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty in all she had to live on. Another Bible teacher said, about this time at the uh, offering box, with coins, and it was such that you could sit and observe and listen to what people put in, and the really adept to it could tell exactly how much was being put in by just the clang and uh, how much weight there was and what they sound like. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of judgment and self-righteous there, like, ah, oh, this person put in this, and this person put in this. And obviously, um, some come and put in hefty sums and clank, clank, clank into the offering box and walk away and like, y'all hear it? Yep, it was a good offering today. And who knows, it might have been 1% of their income or 10% or 50% or 99%. But Jesus says, let's, let's take a look at this widow. But in two small coins, the coins would, do, would be meaningless to the temple. They're not going to buy anything. But who is it meaningful to? Jesus says, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. They contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Everything. Everything. Um, 
you know, it's, it's interesting to turn it into a percentage game. Like, all right, 100% is really what you... And I, in my business, you often do need to put in a percentage game. I get a question a lot, and this is a financial piece of your teaching this morning. Um, people are often will say, well, if I can, like, say they have, like, four accounts or five savings accounts, and like, oh, if I combine those together, will they earn more? And then if they stand apart, like, if they're all earning 4%, if you have four accounts of $1,000 all earning 4%, instead of one account of $4,000 earning 4%, it's all the same because 4% is 4%, whether they're together or separate. Um, and so to one person, you often like here um, in categorizing even American wealth, like, hey, America has this many trillions of dollars of wealth and per capita, per person, like how much is that? Um, which to say, well, you could have, say, a billion dollars split between 10 people, um, which is a lot more than $100 billion split between 100,000 people. And so per person, percentage-wise, you're worried about like not how much, you're more worried about what, what do I have and then what will I earn as a percentage. That was not a good explanation. But the, the point is this. Uh, it really doesn't matter what others are doing when it comes to what you are doing um, in relation to your creator and who you are in relation to your creator. He has given us everything. He's done all of it. He created us. He created our home here. He created the gardens. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth. And he set it in motion and he called it good. And he said, I want you to be the most special creation and take good care of it. And we, through Adam and Eve, have soiled that, right? He gave that to us. And through in that soiling, he said, well, here is the law so you can know how to get it back. Go for it. Live up to the law, knowing we cannot. We cannot live up to the law. And the Pharisees knew that. Jesus has gotten after him for it. And so then what does he give? He gives one who can. He gives Christ. And Christ says, I will fulfill the law for you. Quit trying on your own. It's impossible. You can be good in many small ways. You can never be ultimately good. What is good? There's only one that's good. It's God. And Jesus was God. And he's fulfilled it for you. He's given all things. And now we have the opportunity as well. Even though he's gone, resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father, to take on his very identity through believing in him. He's given us all things, done all the work for us, and what has he asked in return of you? He just wants everything from you. And in that, he promises, like, I, you give me everything you have, I'll give you everything I have. Uh, that's a pretty good quote. There's two, um, there's two things God will say, to people, how's it go? God, you, uh, God will say either, uh, either your will be done, or um, or thy will be done. So God can say, my will be done for you, or you can say to me, your will to be done. Go ahead, live what you want, but ultimately, um, you can have either everything I have or everything you think you have. And so what I'm I'm saying, it is a really good trade to take on Christ and take everything he has and lay down everything I have. I, 
I, I thought I had some good stuff. You know, I thought I brought a lot to the table. Turns out it's nothing compared to everything Christ has for me. That lasts forever and is so much bigger than what I could ever dream or desire. What do you want? You get to keep what you own, what you think is yours. You get, you can have it. God is saying, yes, please have it. Enjoy it for as long as it lasts. The Pharisees, the scribes he's talking to, on this earth they had something pretty cool. Relative to others, they got honor. Enjoy it. Go ahead, enjoy it if you want. God has said to them, Christ has said to them, go ahead, enjoy it, but you'd be a fool because I'm offering you so much more. And you can have it just by, just lay down what you have and take what I have for you. Is what you've had on your own, has it worked out very well for you? Even in the small sugar highs of glory you have, you know you've been brought low. You've come to the well, you've taken a drink, you're like, that's good, I, I am full. You've left only to become thirsty again. And Christ says, why not take the drink in the water that never lets you thirst again? Take on everything I have instead of everything you bring to the table. Lay it down, cast it off. It's not worth it. It doesn't work for very long. But Christ works everlasting. Remember where we started, Christ is preeminent, surpassing all things. And I've said it often, I think, this summer in teaching or the last few months, C.S. Lewis says, it's not that our God finds our desires too strong. They're like, oh, I want to do this, God, but you won't let me with your law. It's like, no, you're too weak. God's desires are much bigger than ours. He has much bigger things for us. Do not settle for playing in mud pies when a vacation at sea is offered to you. Take on Christ and what he has for you. Um, it's good. And then all the pressure of you just trying to keep up, it falls away. Because he said, I've already taken that pressure from you. Um, let's not live under pressure. And you can feel it. You can do a little inventory. You know, as you get ready for your Monday again, you get ready for harvest. You get ready for the, you know, really the grind of schoolwork now that the activities are really flowing. Where's the pressure coming from? Why is it there? Because Christ says, I've taken all that pressure from you. And if you believe in me, I want to continue to sanctify you by removing even the small pressures that you still let have a voice. Sanctification is God's gradual growing righteousness in us. And so let's continue to expose ourselves to these words of truth when we're like, hey, where am I feeling the pressure today? Ask yourself, don't be afraid to ask yourself, where's the pressure coming from? Because then Christ says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light for you. So pay attention to the pressure. Don't ignore it like, I don't feel pressure. Oh, it's not there. Like, no, I do. Why is it there? Christ has promised me. I believe in Christ. He's called me to himself. Why is that pressure there? And he's going to work on it. He's been faithful and true to do it in many ways. You know that. And he'll keep doing it until we get his fullness of life restored um, one day when that comes. So should you be afraid to put all you have to live on for the sake of knowing Christ. No. Um, we have net worth in here by worldly standards. There's no doubt about it in this crew. And in any other church in, in Missouri, Andrew County, United States. Our net worth can serve to be a big distraction. It can cause us to put our hope in something less than Christ. And everything in Christ. If you were called to lay your entire net worth down for Christ, your house you own, 
your bank accounts, your retirement accounts, um, your skills, your body, bodily ability, your physical ability to produce or move or do anything. If it was called to be laid down and put into the offering box, would you do it without fear? Christ is saying, do just as the poor widow did. Who didn't say, here, God, you can have 10% back of what you've given me. It's like, no, take it all. At any moment you want it, take it all. Now, I struggle because I'm not always sure I'm hearing the call of God clearly. So that's where I'm trying to humble myself, like, God, please speak clearly, get rid of distractions, spend time in his word. I want to hear from him clearly. I'm not sure I am. Um, so I'll come back and knowing he's faithful to show me if I submit myself to him, as James says. But let us not be afraid to lay down all we own because he's got something better. It is better than what we have. Um, so we're getting ready to finish this last home stretch of Luke, depending on our plans with uh, Ryan Hughes and how that turns out. We might, we might wrap up pretty quick here as we go into the crucifixion resurrection. But if you've heard anything today, hear this. Christ is preeminent. He's before. He's after. He's higher. He's deeper. Everything and all things for you, me, everyone. And that, hopefully, is on our hearts and minds as we go about it.